was thinking about the, the World Cup. Sorry, I didn't even introduce myself, but Ryan introduced me. My name is Stefan. I, I serve on the eldership alongside Ryan and Andre. Um, and my wife, who's, who's not here now, my two boys, Charlotte and Luke and Daniel, they're at the back. So if you see them, they're, they're both two boys still have their Springbok kit on. So, yeah, and I, w I was thinking, like, how can I maybe use the opportunity of South Africa winning another World Cup um, and kind of speak about it here? And to be honest, I like, couldn't really feel like there wasn't something that I felt was, would come natural. It, it all felt a little bit forced. Um, but then Juma spoke this morning in the prayer meeting and just said, like, you know what, we must just remember South Africa are going to lose again. Um, and I think that, like, that was a good like, reminder that it's such a nice feeling that we won, but we're going to lose again. And he kind of linked that to the fact that as Christ followers, you know, we're not going to lose. Um, that Christ has won the victory, and he doesn't have to try again in four years. Uh, he's, he's won the victory once and for all, and he has the World Cup there, and he'll have it forever. So, yeah, um, we are in a series which we've called The Cure, and um, I'm going to be speaking on week two of that series, which is called The Kingdom. Um, but maybe just a little bit of context is this is based off of a, a series of, of talks and, and what they call white papers from a church in, in the USA called Redeemer City to City, and that is the, the church that was um, established by, by Tim Keller, and he did these, these white papers and he did these, these talks, and uh, much of what we're going to speak will be out of that. So I just want to obviously give credit to, to them and, and praise God for what they've done and all the work that they've put into that and that they've made it available for us to be able to use. Um, yeah, and the series will also be, be based on that. So, so yeah, when I say uh, kingdom, I thought this morning maybe it would be interesting to know who, yeah, has lived under a, in or under a, a kingdom, um, anyone here or has or is currently living in a, in a kingdom or under a king or under a queen. It's interesting because I think for much of my life, I thought that, that a kingdom is something that, that is old news, that there aren't any kingdoms anymore. And I remember going to an outreach to Lesotho and and hearing that, no, they still have, they have a king, and that's a kingdom. And I thought, like, well, that's strange. Like, there's no castles there, or, you know, like, that's kind of my Disney idea of what a kingdom was in how I grew up. So what do you understand under the term kingdom? I think when I did a quick search under, the, under what is a kingdom, um, it, the, the results that came up would say it's a country, a territory or a region that is ruled by a king or a queen. Or it's a people group that is ruled by a king or a queen. And like I said, some of us might, may think, I know that this was me for a long time, that kingdoms 
don't really exist anymore, but there actually are still seven recognized kingdoms in South Africa. Um, these seven kingdoms in South Africa have kings. Oh, be a bit concerned there. As I mentioned, Lesotho is, is still considered a kingdom. I know the Netherlands still considered a kingdom. The, the king, and, king and queen, I guess, or the king of the Netherlands, they were here the other day, visited South Africa. Um, the United Kingdom, obviously, is still a kingdom. But modern-day kingdoms, they don't necessarily have absolute rule or the, or the king or the queen of that kingdom. Um, so what I mean by that is, like, it's not necessarily like the king decides, oh, this is how things are going to be, and then things are like that. They still have governments, they have officials, and they have a constitution, and decisions are made more, let's call it democratically in a sense. But the kingdoms of old, so the, if you understand what I mean, kingdoms of old, were a bit different. Many of the kings had absolute rule, meaning that they could make some random decision or law or rule, and people had to live by that. And what I thought of here was, was the story of Daniel where, where the people were, were trying to, to get Daniel in trouble, essentially. And they told the king, like, make a rule so that people are only allowed to pray to you. And then he made a rule, and now people are only allowed to pray to him. Um, so that's just a little bit of background on, on kingdom and our understanding of kingdom. We're going to look at a short scripture, um, Mark 1, verse 15, if you want to turn there. Okay, and we'll come, we'll come back to the scripture again. Mark 1, verse 15 says, and this is, if I, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, the time has come. So a way of ruling, a way of administering. A way of leading the people. So when, when it is spoken of the kingdom in the New Testament, it's not speaking about a physical territory, but the word actually means like a way of ruling, the, a way of this kingdom and this king. So it refers more to how this kingdom is ruled and run, and who rules this kingdom rather than where? So what is, what is the kingdom? So the kingdom is the renewal of creation. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, it means the renewal of creation. It means the, the re-entry of his power brought through Christ's death and resurrection. But this renewal of creation, renewing things as it should have been from the beginning, is only realized in part now. But it will be realized in full on Jesus' second coming. Okay, so that's just a little bit of an overview. We're going to go into some more. And there's so much information on this, and I really struggle to actually cut it down to something that would fit into hopefully 25 to 30 minutes. 
Um, and what I want to encourage you is that, that we've really uh, um, encouraged our community groups and our deacons and our leaders to, to invite people to, into this message, and we really see this as an opportunity to also speak to people outside of our church. And I would just encourage you that if there are things that I don't necessarily touch on today that you may have questions on to to speak to, go visit a community group in your community group, speak about it, ask the questions, bring up your or your view on things, and let's have these discussions. So, the big idea that I have for this morning for us is not so much a big idea as it is a, a big prayer. Um, and my big prayer for, for us, for me, and for you this morning is that that we would see the joy of the kingdom. We would see the joy of the kingdom. And the scripture that I, that I have here that, that I thought of was uh, Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46, and we all know it very well. The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy... In his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And I think I listened to a message from, from John Piper on this and, and how he said, like, sometimes we read that and we miss the joy part of it. That he was, he was pleased to go and sell everything that he had. He was, it was a joyful occasion for him to sell everything he had and buy this field because of the treasure that it contained. Um, and I pray that that would be true for us as well. And I pray that regardless of whether my uh, points make sense or, or necessarily uh, speak about, about this, I'm going to try obviously, but may that be true for us that we would either discover or rediscover the joy of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom, that it wouldn't be feel like, oh, sure, now as a Christian, now I have to live in this kingdom, that we would be, how can I say, that we would feel it is a privilege, it's, a, it's an honor to be able to be a part of this kingdom. Okay, so the four things that we're going to look at, we're going to look at the kingdom and the gospel. We're going to look at citizens of the kingdom. We're going to look at the kingdom problems. In, uh, I don't know what you call that. Problems. Problems for, for some. Um, and we're going to look at the kingdom, kingdom promises or the kingdom's promise. Right. So the kingdom and the gospel. So we read Mark 1.15 which said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So at the very least, we can see from this that the kingdom, the concept of the kingdom, and the concept of the gospel is very closely related. Laura spoke to us last week on the gospel of grace. And I would just encourage you, if you have not listened to it already, that you, that you actually go and listen to it on the, on the Weinberg Common Ground website. She spoke about the bad news, 
and the good news and the great news. And bad news, I might not do it as well as she did, so go and listen to it. Bad news, we are sinful, lost, unable to save ourselves. Good news, Jesus is able to save us, and he did do the necessary to save us. He took our place because our, our wages, the penalty for, for that position of bad news that we were in, because we couldn't pay that price, but he could. He took that place. So he, subs, he substituted himself for us, and that gave us opportunity to be reconciled to God. And that's the, the good news that we get forgiveness of sins. We get reconciled to God and we get to live with God for eternity. But we also spoke about the great news. The great news is that now that we are saved, we are not just, well, I'm saved now, but I'm still, I'm still just going to be the same. The great news is that in some sense in this life, that we get to live with Christ. So we died with Him, we were raised with Him, and now we get to live with Him, and we start becoming more like Him. We start wanting to become more like Him. So we're not just resigned to the fact that we are sinners and saved, but now that we are saved, we have opportunity through Christ and through the Holy Spirit to be more like Him to start living more like Him, to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. Because we have a new master, a master that has given everything for us, and we want to please Him, through the renewing work of the Spirit and His power, we become more like Christ. And we want to live a life that looks more like Christ. In many ways, the gospel of grace and the good news of the kingdom are two biblical ways of speaking about the same thing. In Ephesians 1 verse 21, I'm not sure if this will be up, can't remember, Paul says that because Christ rose and ascended, he now rules, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. We know that Christ's resurrection is central to the good news of the gospel. But this also implies that because of what Christ has done, which let's refer to what Christ has done as the good news, the gospel, he now rules. So if you just look at that again, so Paul says that because Christ rose and ascended, he now rules. Because of what he done, he's done, because he rose and he ascended, he now rules. And when we think about rule, we think about kingdom. In the present age and in the age to come. In Matthew 6 verse 33, Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Charlotte, my wife, gave me this verse on a little piece of paper 
to stick up on my desk at school. And it is just such a good reminder, especially when we start getting overwhelmed with life and work, to just look at that and, and be reminded to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And to be honest, when I look at that, I don't think, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Okay, this is what I have to do to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. But for me, it's really a moment of being able to pray and say, Lord Jesus, I want to seek first Your kingdom and Your righteousness, but I don't always know what that looks like. Please help me through Your Spirit. Okay, so seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And when we do seek the kingdom, we discover that this kingdom is a kingdom of grace. The kingdom of God that comes to us. Not because we have earned it because of how good we were, but because it gives God pleasure to give us this kingdom. In Luke 12, verse 32, it says, Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased, pleased to give you the kingdom. So to say that salvation is by Christ's work and not our work is the same as saying that Christ is author and Lord. Not just of our lives, but of our salvation. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness does mean to live according to Jesus' will in every area of life. And we see such good examples of practically what that looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. And many people say that the Sermon on the Mount is actually a glimpse, a picture of what a renewed humanity could look like. So if we read through Jesus' instruction on the Sermon on the Mount, we're reminded of, of things like, like loving our enemies, which is probably the most uh, challenging and revolutionary idea that anyone has ever thought of or spoken. Um, praying for those who persecute you. Anyone who says they have received Christ and His forgiveness, the gospel, the good news, but has not experienced a holier life, a changed life, is not really in the kingdom. The solution is not to try harder to be holy, but to ask if we had really understood the grace of the gospel, which puts us in the, in the kingdom. If we truly understand it, we will have a desire to lead a holier life. We will want to follow the ways of the kingdom. Thus, this reading of the kingdom shows us that as, as citizens of the kingdom, through what Christ has done, we now desire to live a holier life and to follow the ways of the kingdom. And uh, I just want to speak about an illustration that someone, someone showed me in varsity. I'm not able to show it now, but hopefully I can explain it good enough. He drew a little roof. And then under the roof, he drew a little stick man. 
that was me or him. And then he drew another roof, which was the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And he says that when we put our trust in Christ, and we put our trust in what he's done, we believe the good news, we actually go from this little roof that we're under, which is us ruling, us in charge of our own life, us deciding what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad, to actually going and saying, but actually, through putting my, my faith in Christ, I'm now under a new kingdom. I'm standing under a new roof. And in that kingdom, where I was my own king, I decided what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad and how to treat people and how not to treat people. I made that decision. But now, in God's kingdom, I follow His ways. In God's kingdom, what does He say is good? What does He say is bad? What does He say is right and what does He say is wrong? And this morning I was thinking about that and I, I had this, this idea of that we can feel like when we come out from underneath our own rule, saying that we're saved by Christ, we kind of sulkily go under the, the rule of the kingdom. It's like, okay, now I have to be nice to people. Now I have to love my enemy. Now I have to pray for those who persecute me. And we, that's kind of the picture I get, that that's sometimes how we are when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're like, okay, you know, Jesus did save me, so okay, I'll give my 10% or whatever. I don't, I, and I just thought again, like Juma was, was speaking about not being a slave to sin in prayer meeting, but being a slave to righteousness. And I got this picture again of like slave. And then I thought about the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son. And I thought the prodigal son, he took his own rule. He decided he doesn't want to be under his father's rule. And he took his own rule. He decided for himself what is good. And what did that give him? Gave him eating in the mud with pigs. And when he came back to his father, it wasn't a, okay, now I have to live here. It was a joyous occasion. And his, and his father put a coat around him and he put a ring on his finger. And I just, I just want to remind us of that, that being under this roof of the kingdom is not something we should drop our heads about. We come under that kingdom and we get a ring put on our finger. We get embraced. We get welcomed back. The, the fattest calf or whatever gets slaughtered to celebrate that we have come out of our own little rule into God's kingdom. Which brings me to my second point. Living as citizens of the kingdom. Living as citizens of the kingdom. So living as citizens of the kingdom brings these things into our lives. Grace and freedom. Grace and freedom. In our personal lives, 
The alternative to being part of Christ's kingdom is being enslaved to our personal ideals. If our happiness is dependent on anything other than Christ, for example, a successful career, a happy family, which aren't bad things, that thing becomes a master to us. Because we treat it as our Savior. We are only happy and content when we are successful. But when we make Jesus our Savior and Lord, His kingdom liberates us from power of false masters. For example, unhealthy overworking because I'm trying to prove myself or excessive anxiety over our children's well-being. And I think like that's something that, that I've experienced having, having two boys now, just over two years old and five months old. It's like, you, I, I can see how easily I can be enslaved to actually being obsessed with their well-being. And that, although caring for our children is not a bad thing, we know that, but making that our God and our master and our idol that rules our life is definitely not a good thing. Peace and justice. In our relationships, the alternative to being a part of Christ's kingdom is being enslaved to social idols. Our world's system attaches a high value to the notion of power, comfort, success, and recognition. But those in God's kingdom, those of us in God's kingdom, those people in God's kingdom succeed through the cross of Christ, not through strength and accomplishment. The kingdom is entered not by the strong, but that by those who admit their weakness and their need for a savior and their need for grace. And what this does socially is it changes our attitude towards the poor and the powerless and the marginalized. We no longer have to ignore or exploit others to ensure that we will be okay. And we work towards peace and justice as a sign that we are citizens of this new kingdom. When it comes to work and our, our witness at work, the alternative to being part of Christ's kingdom is being controlled by the cultural idols or ideologies. Every field of what we are involved in puts forth something other than God as the goal. The ultimate goal, the ultimate value, whether it be financial profit or individual rights or happiness or whatever it may be. The power of a certain group of people or a or a certain aim. But when we install the kingdom's values in our work, our individual work will be distinctive 
from that of those that are not under the kingdom. It will be a unique, it will be unique to you as a Christ follower what your witness looks like at your work or in your work. And then living as citizens of the kingdom calls us to be salt and light. Jesus' miracles were called signs of the kingdom. The things he did were called signs of the kingdom. And when John the Baptist asked if he really was Christ the king, Jesus pointed to the signs of his ministry. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's in Matthew 11 verse 45. Sorry, I don't think I have it up there. But he pointed to those things as signs of the kingdom. And for us to also go out and be salt and light as signs of the kingdom. For Christ followers to also go and be salt and light in this world to show people, in a sense, a foretaste of what the kingdom is like. So, that actually brings me to the next point of the kingdom's problems. And the kingdom's problems, what I refer to there is like, uh, actually, in Jesus' day and now, the issues that people have with the idea of Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom, the idea was problematic in Jesus' time because of how people expected the Messiah to come. First of all, they expected the Messiah to come uh, only once. But we are taught through the Bible that our Messiah, Jesus, has come once and he will come again. On the first time he came, he came to bear judgment. And on the second time, he will come to bring judgment on the world. So this was a problem for people because that's not, that was not their idea of the Messiah. Jesus taught that, that in him the kingdom of God has arrived. And we enter it now through conversion. He claimed that he brings the new covenant and the spirit that changes hearts. That he defeats the great enemies of the people. That he brings the Gentiles into the church body. And that to believe in him will deliver us from death. And yet... Jesus is just as clear in his teaching that the kingdom of God has not come in its fullness. He taught his disciples to ask God in prayer for the kingdom to come. He told them that the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world will not be given until judgment day. Jesus' parables of the kingdom stress the incompleteness of the kingdom. And, and the problem here is the idea of the kingdom that is already, but not yet. There's different ways to phrase that, but the idea that, yes, the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. We cannot underestimate how 
present the kingdom is now. But we also must not overestimate how realized it is, how fully it is here, how much it actually also still only exists in the future. Because the kingdom is here, but not fully here, we must expect healing, we must expect substantial things to happen that God says will happen in His kingdom, in all areas of life. But not total. It means in this lifetime, there will be sickness, and there will be, as we know, wars and conflict and death and mourning and tears. The implication of this is that sometimes we overstress the already, and we tell people that there should not be any hurt in this life if God's kingdom has come. There should not be be any tears or any mourning in this life if God's kingdom has come. And ultimately what happens is that people are disappointed. People are thinking about well, how could this happen in a, in a time where God's kingdom has come. And the opposite is also true or a danger to say that, well, we can't expect, because the kingdom is not fully here, we can't expect any healing. We can't expect anything good. We're just here and we're going to die and then the kingdom will come. There's no good no good in this time. And it actually is not either of those. And as I said, the, this was the, is and was a problem with Jesus' idea or God's idea of the kingdom is that it's here. We can experience healing. We can experience goodness. We can experience restoration in this life now. But it's not fully here, which means all the hurt won't be restored in this life. All the pain, all the evil, all, all those things won't be taken away in this life. But someday it will. So there's a couple of, of, of things here that uh, theologian John Stott suggests that the already but not yet kingdom can have our, on our lives. The first one is knowledge of the truth. So in a time when, when a lot of people say that there isn't really such a thing as truth, that you can decide what it is, we cling to God's word as actually something that is true and something that gives truth. But on the other hand, we must be humble about our ability to understand God's Word in full. We pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We pray for God's wisdom. But because we are living in the already but not yet, people make mistakes. We will make mistakes. And we must have grace with how we actually look at the Word of God. And that's one of the implications of the already but not, not yet kingdom. 
It means we have more charity for, for things that may be considered non-essential um, aspects that we see in the Bible. Church change and growth. So the already and not yet means that we believe that the church can have an impact in God's kingdom. We believe that the church can bring real change in God's kingdom. Uh, and in this life, now, in our life, the church can really make a change bring life, bring restoration, be agents for God. But because we are also living in the not yet, we must admit that there won't be perfect churches. And we mustn't go hopping around trying to find the perfect church because this church is not perfect. Because we are in the already but not yet, the church will not be perfect in this life. It doesn't mean that we don't strive towards it. It doesn't mean that we, that we try and stick to God's Word and, 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 and keep looking at ourselves and making sure that we are aligned with God. But it also just means that we won't be perfect, that no church will be perfect in this life. And then social change. So, in the now, there's actually very much practical things that Christians have instituted over the years, whether that be things like hospitals and medical and uh, charities and NGOs, and all of those things can be seen as a, as a grace of God, as a kingdom coming now. All of those, those things that bring healing and restoration and help and upliftment. But the not yet means that those things won't bring full restoration. Those things won't bring full healing and full eradication of whether it be crime, whether it be poverty, all of those things will still exist. The second problem was the idea of the upside-down kingdom. So the first was the idea of the, that it's the already and the not yet. And the second was the idea of the upside-down kingdom, is that people expected Jesus to come on a white horse in power and overthrow the Roman Empire um, and rule from there. But we know that Jesus came humbly. Jesus came on a donkey. Jesus came and washed feet. Jesus came and he died on a cross. And I think that we probably don't realize how big a, a stumbling block that is for uh, the Jewish community. That this Messiah, who was supposed to come in power, came in weakness. And there are massive implications of this. First, it means that we too will enter this kingdom in the same upside-down manner. Unlike other religions, we do not 
achieve salvation by summoning up all the strength and courage that we have to live a good life and to live, do as many good things as we can, and then we will have a good chance to be saved. But through weakness and repentance, through admittance of that, actually, we are not good enough, we are not strong enough, we cannot do this, we need Jesus. Second, it means that we live, grow, and serve in this kingdom. Not by taking power, but by following Jesus' example and giving up power and privilege in order to forgive, sacrifice, and serve. And thirdly, we see that the whole we see the whole world differently. We do not overly emphasize people that are talented and competent and able to the extent that they actually become idols. Not that we don't appreciate that. But we do not bow and cater to the rich and to the wealthy and to the brilliant, as said in James. But rather we live to lift up those that are unseen, those that are are on the margins. Each one of us is experiencing blessings and curses. And the upside-down nature of the kingdom can help us order them with our lives. So they do not control us or destroy us. In God's economy, the high will be brought low and the low be brought high. In Luke 14 verse 11, it says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And if there's, any, if there's a catchphrase or a slogan for God's kingdom, then, then it must be that. That if you want to be first in God's kingdom, then you must be last. If you want to lead, then you have to serve. And Jesus set the best example of that. The king of the world, the, the, the literal king of the world, was willing to, to bend down and wash his disciples' feet. And, and that, compared to what he did after that, is, is small and insignificant, the fact that he was willing to die on a cross. And when we think of Paul's story, who we spoke about now recently in Corinthians, he also realized that in his weakness, God's power is made um, visible. Um, the, the, the famous section where he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. People in Jesus' day and people in our day see the already and the not yet kingdom, an upside down kingdom, as a problem, a stumbling block often. But as citizens of the kingdom, we should trust God's wisdom in how He is currently administering. His kingdom. We may think 
why would you do an already not yet kingdom? And to be honest, maybe we don't know. But there comes a point where we must trust that the creator of the universe, the creator of people, the creator of everything, the author of salvation, knows what is best for you and for me. Last point. I will write off the sleepy eyes as watching the final last night. Don't worry, I will not write you down in my book of people that sleep in church. (laughs) Final is the kingdom promise. And if you have dozed off, that's fine. But get this, the promise of God's kingdom. Why this kingdom and why this king? That's the question. Why this kingdom and why this king? First, because only this kingdom's citizens will experience a renewed universe, a renewed earth and heaven. So we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Again, I'm not sure if I've put it in. Did I put it in? Isaiah 65 verse 17 See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. What a strange concept that in the new heavens and the new earth, the former things will not come to mind. I think like for me, I thought, I thought like maybe, maybe you would still be thinking about, about this. But according to this, The former things will not be remembered. They will not come to mind. The next is Romans 8, verse 19 to 20. It says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of and glory of the children of God. And then Revelation 21 verse 1 says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So why this kingdom? Because this kingdom is the only kingdom where there will be life, where there will be renewal where there will be freedom from hurt and pain and tears. Only this kingdom. Next, because of who the king is, you ask, why should we, why should we trust this king and this kingdom? We say, because of who the king is. So Tim Keller tells a story that he heard. So it's a, passed down story, but in any case, he says that this woman spoke about, she said, imagine the distance from the earth to the sun as, to scale as thick as this paper. So, whatever that thickness is. 
to scale, if that was how far the earth is from the sun, that the distance from the earth to the closest star will be a stack of papers 21 meters high. That is, that is how vast the difference is between the earth to the sun and the earth to the nearest star. Now imagine the diameter of our galaxy. If the distance from the earth to the sun is as thick as this piece of paper, then the diameter of our galaxy will be a stack of papers 500 kilometers high. And then do you realize that our galaxy is only a little speck in the universe? And then she says, and do you realize that Hebrews 1.1 says that Jesus holds the universe together with the word of his power? And then she said, is this the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your assistant? Is this the type of person that you ask into your life to be your consultant? No. This is the kind of person that is either king of your life or not. So because of who he is, and because of what he has done, Jesus gave everything for you and me. Whether you believe in him this morning or not, he still gave everything for you. He loves us. And because, because of what he has done, we know that we can trust him. If we can trust him to save us from sin and death, then surely we can trust him to be king of our lives. And to rule our lives. And that he actually knows what's best for our lives. And this brings us back to the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and he bought that field. So I pray this morning that we would see the value, the value of the kingdom. I think of Paul saying the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, the, the value of being underneath his rule and his reign. And that being there, we wouldn't be head down, shoulders down, but that would be, we would be joyfully praising Him for the opportunity to be there. That we get to be there through what Christ has done. Lord Jesus, I pray that You will restore to us or renew in us the, the joy to be part of Your kingdom. And I pray that you would help each of us to know what it looks like to live in your kingdom. Day to day, will you make it clear to us 
How do we walk as citizens of the kingdom in a way that is pleasing to you? In Jesus' name, amen.